This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. You're listening to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast with me, Johnny Hart. Each week we preview and review all the big business and market stories with an Oanda Senior Market Analyst. And this week it is Craig Earlham in London. Very good morning to you, Craig. How are you doing? I'm really good. It's Friday. Happy days. We're going into uh, a stormy weekend. So what, what's not to be happy about? Well, it's a stormy week uh, <laughs> as far as the financial markets are concerned. I mean, across the globe, the worst week since the global financial crisis in 2008. And all of that because of the impact of the coronavirus, which continues to grip investors. And we haven't reached a peak point yet. And um, Plenty more to come. We've seen some massive falls across all regions, Asia, the United States, of course, and in Europe, uh, falling very sharply indeed. I mean, how serious is the situation right now? So the, the, the reaction we've seen in the markets right now is not a case of how serious it is. It's a case of how serious it can become. Uh, because we have to remember that it's all well and good talking about, well, what we do is we see short-term stoppages and then after a month, once it, uh, everything starts to be contained, then we can start to see businesses reopen and we can just crack on as normal. Um, and in some cases, that is that is true. And you're just talk, look, talking about a short-term financial hit. And this is where governments are going to have to be a lot more active in order to try and support at least uh, the, the kind of SMEs, the people who are who are reliant on the kind of day-to-day uh, funding and can't really uh, uh, take these short-term financial hits as well as your major firms. And you are seeing some efforts in some countries, I think Hong Kong, Singapore and things like this, they have uh, effectively pledged support for uh, SMEs as well as trying to find other ways in order to try and uh, support the local economy without just the need for cutting interest rates and hoping that solves all. Um, so there, there is that kind of aspect. But then there is also, there's just the supply chain aspect. Part of globalisation has been the fact that supply chains are spread all around the world. And uh, many businesses are reliant, therefore, on many other countries and many other uh, factories, etc., to produce their parts, get their parts to them so that they can make them into bigger parts or, or, or sell on the final items. If you start getting disruptions in those supply chains, then and these are very complex supply chains, then the the ramifications uh, of this of this outbreak could be far wider spread. Uh, and then you are talking again about funding difficulties and all these other issues. And I, 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 even that is is while not really grasping the full extent of it, because I think most people at this stage really don't grasp the full extent of just how bad this can become if more and more businesses in more and more countries start shutting down, even in the short term. Uh, there's a lot of industries where just-in-time manufacturing is a thing. And if you lose that just-in-time aspect and you don't have the storage facilities, and they, like I said, it just becomes a much, much bigger problem. And there are going to be some major casualties along the way. And the, as you said before, the irony is we know this is going to be a short-term problem, but how deep it is in that short-term is the real problem as well, isn't it? Because, as you said, there aren't uh, that many companies with such large pockets that they can actually survive this, let's say, three-month hit. It looks like it's going to be something like that because all the science suggests that by the summer, by May, June, July, we would have seen the back of this coronavirus. But in the meantime, we're going to see, obviously, the tragedy of people dying and also the global economy possibly going into recession because there are a number of companies, even ones which aren't necessarily that unhealthy, who won't survive. Yeah, I mean, especially like saying the SME sector, and I think that's why the efforts are being made towards uh, small and medium-sized businesses. Now, how in, much in, can you actually do? 
Well, it's about it's about give, give, uh, giving access to funding, um, and especially in certain countries, like if you um, uh, either through the the, the the government effectively and uh, short-term loans, or if you are a country where you've got state-owned banks like China, where you can uh, pressure banks to provide long to, uh, to provide additional liquidity to uh, to companies in order to tie them over. There's going to be different responses which are going to be available. What you can't just do is hang them out to dry, because you're not you're not just effectively seeing weak businesses go uh, disappear you're seeing uh, businesses which are more than viable who just are who are just dependent on uh, an economy where short-term liquidity is is widely available and therefore uh, uh, and uh, you see you're putting those companies at risk as well and we've got to remember small and medium-sized businesses still employ the vast majority of people in any in any economy so if you start seeing these businesses disappear what you're seeing is jobs disappear you're seeing prospects disappear you're causing a much greater shock uh, to the economy and many of these economies are consumer economies as well so if you start seeing these businesses uh, go under as a result of this you're seeing higher unemployment you're seeing people with less money to spend you're seeing weaker consumer activity yeah. you're seeing people fretting about their own jobs because they're wondering are we next you see them, those people then stop spending. You get into this really negative feedback loop. and Nasty cycle. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden, you, you're, before you know it, you're in a recession. And how much of it can you blame on the coronavirus and how much of it can you therefore blame on a, on a, on a poor response uh, from the authorities who are able to actually not necessarily nip this in the bud per se, but at least um, reduce the, the, the impact uh, of what is uh, an event which was uh, unavoidable. And it could, I suppose, have a trickle-down effect into other sort of geopolitical uh, parts of where we're going in the next uh, few months with the election coming up in the United States. You know, Donald Trump's doing pretty well in the polls at the moment, and we all know that's because the economy's doing um, okay and uh, has has been on an upward trajectory for for some time. But if there's a a downward blip around October-November in the United States, that could affect his chances of being re-elected is possible. Yeah, I mean, if you're going into a, if you're going into a, a an election campaign in a recession, then then you can't tell me that doesn't negatively harm your your chances compared to where we were two months ago when we were talking about yeah. he's almost a shoe in because the economy's strong, unemployment's low. It would be um, almost unprecedented for someone to be kicked out of office when the economy is in such a, a strong position. And yet now we're, in, now we're in a situation whereby it's almost not necessarily out of their hands, but uh, they, they, it means they've got a much bigger job on their hands to, uh, and they need luck on their side as well in many case, in, in, to a large extent because they need to hope that this it doesn't get out of hand even with all the efforts that are being made to try and contain it. And in the US they have been rel- relatively well sheltered for now, but you could say the same about Italy three weeks ago. So it, these things do get uh, can accelerate very quickly. But even if even if you don't get specifically attacked by the virus in your own host country, you know you, you mentioned it, you know in the United Kingdom, very few cases thus far. United States as well. Uh, but as you said, because we are a global economy, business is affecting wherever you are. Um, we've had uh, comments from Bank of England Governor Mark Carney over the last twenty four hours who has warned that the outbreak could lead to a downgrade in the UK's economic growth prospects. No surprise there, but it depends on how deep it could be. And this is all going on while we've just started these negotiations in the United Kingdom uh, with the European Union. We've had some comments this week uh, from Prime Minister Boris Johnson, says he'll walk away from the negotiating table in June 
if it's not clear, he's going to get a Canada-style trade agreement with the bloc. And uh, we've, see, uh, we've seen that the pound fall because of that. And uh, we're entering almost a perfect storm. We could have a combination of coronavirus, worries about a, a, a no deal between the UK and the EU and so on. Yeah, it's um, it, it's a really difficult situation politically. Let's be honest, uh, for for everyone concerned, uh, whether we're talking about something like the US, uh, which, which we were just talking about now, um, it was it was interesting actually earlier this week. I, I see that Trump tried to blame uh, the Democrats for the stock market sell-off. Uh, Not he for said, the coronavirus. No, he said uh, he he, he <laughs> yeah. suggested that it was the Democrat debate and fears of a Democratic oh, presidency right. that uh, mm-hmm. that triggered the, the the stock market sell-off. Um, well, if Bernie uh, we, Sanders was the uh, president, and he probably would. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's when you're talking about doubling the size of government, effectively. Yeah, that's that, uh, and raising taxes on big businesses and uh, and and the wealthiest. Then it's always going to have an impact on the stock markets, quite clearly. Imagine a scenario, Craig, where we have a recession because of the coronavirus, and somehow Bernie Sanders becomes the Democratic uh, candidate, wins the presidency, but only because of the coronavirus. Yeah, you know, stranger things have happened. Yeah, I mean, it's. It's it's it's. I mean, it feels so far away at this point. I mean, I don't really know mm. what to say about uh, where we where we could be. We've we've seen uh, far more surprising things over the over the course of the last few Been a years. Crazy five years, yeah. Five years ago, yeah. Uh, Trump being president was the crazy prospect that uh, that seemed a, a long shot, and uh, we all know how that turned out. So uh, it's it, it's really difficult to say, I guess. Almost but, feels normal now. A bit like the UK leaving the EU. That almost feels normal as well, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It it, it feels bizarrely normal. That again, if you talk about where we where we are now and talked about it five years ago people be rolling their eyes and thinking you're crazy but a lot's changed in that time Uh, but coming back to the UK yeah I mean we're going into these negotiations I I find it very hard to get excited about these negotiations we've had three and a half years now uh, of talking about these back and forth negotiations talking about these hard positions these red lines that all sides have that don't that turn out to be more pink um, uh, and maybe even uh, and maybe even paler than that it's it's Sounds like you think there's going to be a deal one way or the other. I think there is. There's, there's hard positioning, and I don't think either side is totally against walking away from these talks if, if they're going in a vastly different direction than what they want. Uh, that being said, it's obviously in both sides' interest to have some form of deal, even if it is... How many uh, times have you said that in the last three and a half years? Incredible, isn't it? Over I mean, and over and, and again. And we still, we still get to the, the point that we need to get to. And we, we did in terms of actually, the, you know, we've got to the transition period, and, you know... We're, we're nothing much has changed. Um, negotiations continue. We managed to get an agreement to actually leave the EU after many people doubted it. Probably the same thing will happen here. Well, you've got to remember, right? When, when if you're playing poker and you throw all your chips on on a hand, you don't want to lose your chips. You want to you want to win the pot. But you're doing what you're, do, what you're effectively doing is saying, "I'm willing to risk all of this for that greater pot." And that's what that's what they're effectively doing. They know they've got to they've got to be seen to be willing to throw in all their chips. Otherwise, they won't be. Ta- otherwise, no one's going to take their hand seriously. Talking and, of chips, though, the pound has fallen uh, because of this uh, statement. Um, maybe some. Investors are, are more worried than others. You just the, the, you get these reactions in the markets, these short-term swings in the markets because people threaten this, that, or the other. It's a sign that they're being taken seriously. Boris Johnson is not going to be sitting there at the end of the day saying the markets have fallen off. This is a bad thing. He's going to be saying the markets have taken what we've said seriously. And if people in the markets are taking it seriously, then Europe's going to be taking us seriously. And Europe's going to be saying exactly the same things in their closed-door meetings when they make threats and the markets move. They're going to be saying this is a sign that we are being taken seriously. It'd be far worse if the markets almost didn't move because that would suggest that 
as the the same issue that Theresa May had, that you're saying one thing and people are believing something entirely different. The warnings that we're getting right now, for example, from Mark Carney about the potential uh, economic consequences, I think these are... The, 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 these are just sensible warnings. We are facing a prospect of a global slowdown because of the coronavirus. We are facing the prospect of a domestic slowdown because of the coronavirus. And we do need to be prepared for these things. There's nothing wrong with doing so. And people, it's, don't get me wrong, it's a really difficult situation. I saw a, a tweet this morning, and I think it was from the start of 2008, and it was effectively a quote from Ben Bernanke saying, the Fed is not currently anticipating a recession in the US this year. We all know how that turned out. And you, you do the bank, central banks are in a really difficult position whereby if they say that something's not going to happen, it does happen, they look stupid. If they say something's going to happen, then how much of it becomes self-fulfilling? Because if I'm looking, if I'm a business and I'm thinking, am I going to invest heavily this year? And a central bank saying, there could be a deep recession this year. My answer is going to be, I'll wait. Right? And then obviously things become self-fulfilling because if people stop investing, people stop spending money out of fear of a recession. A recession is inevitable. So the central banks are in this real catch-22 between kind of uh, being taken seriously and uh, and scaring people into a, into a recession. They're obviously going to get political backlash as well if they keep, if they scare people into a recession because of political ramifications like the US right now going into an election year. So it is a really difficult position. But I think what Mark Carney said this morning with regards to the coronavirus, etc., I think it is uh, broadly sensible and we do need to be prepared for a bit of a slowdown. And we've just got to hope that the people in charge of the purse strings of the various economies are standing by and are looking at ways to try and support. Because if we are watching politicians right now just deciding, turning to the central banks and saying, maybe if you cut interest rates a little bit, then that everything will be okay. That just tells me they do not have the foggiest clue about what the actual problem is. Because no amount of interest rate cut is going to keep SMEs alive who are reliant on for, on funding. No amount, of the, no amount of interest rate cut is going to tell consumers to go and spend money in the shops, tell businesses to invest um, if they think of recession is on the horizon. What it's going to do is if governments come out and say, we're going to support small and medium-sized businesses, we're going to make sure that they're not going to run into funding difficulties as a result of the coronavirus, we are going to provide fiscal support for the economy, we're not going to get this effective force majeure, drag down our economy and send us into a recession, you don't have anything to worry about. That type of language, that type of action, that type of leadership is what can prevent a, uh, a recession in many countries, and that's the type of thing we need to see. It's what we've seen, like, say, in Hong Kong, in Singapore, and others. I think it's Hong Kong where they've effectively said we're going to give a 1,000 uh, Hong Kong dollars to, to every person. This is a way of trying to support, the, uh, support consumers and tell people this is how confident we are that everything's going to be okay. Same for SMEs. This is the type of leadership that I think we need at this moment in time. Well said, Craig. You're on fire today. Oh, well, it's Friday. I'm in a good mood. Very good. Now, let's look ahead to next week. And because of the coronavirus, some of these uh, bits of data that we're going to see are going to be interesting. OPEC are meeting. We've got the latest US jobs next Friday and a bit earlier in the week, Chinese uh, PMIs for February. Uh, And they are all these, I'm assuming, um, possibly not non-farm payroll, but the other two certainly affected by the coronavirus problems. So yes, I mean we should probably take this in separate parts because that this is a huge talking point. Um, so OPEC, 
uh, with the markets have been uh, in free fall over the course of last week, but what's been far more affected over the longer term has actually been oil prices. While stock markets can rally up until a week ago on the belief that the Fed will cut interest rates, the ECB will do more QE, etc., etc., so that's so therefore that's positive for asset prices. Something like oil is just a supply-demand game. No amount of interest rate cuts is going to inflate the price of oil. Uh, it's just a supply-demand game. And at a time when you are seeing oversupply in a market, when you're talking about a dramatic reduction in in, in demand, then that's that, that's hugely impactful. China's the world's second largest consumer mm. of oil. So no matter what happened elsewhere, oil prices did plunge on the back of the slowdown that we saw in China. Now that we're seeing this spread more globally, we're seeing it plunge again. It bounced back towards kind of $60 a barrel in a, for Brent crude. We're now down at $50 a barrel. We were peaking at 70 a month and a half ago. So this is a dramatic uh, plunge. So we've got an OPEC meeting next week. It's actually a scheduled one, so it's very timely. But a couple of weeks ago, the 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 council that's been put in charge of determining what the right level of oil production is for OPEC. Um, I think they used to be called the Joint Ministerial Management Committee, JMMC, something along those lines. I think they've changed their name uh, over the last few meetings. But basically, they, had, they, they they suggest what type of level uh, cut is needed, if at all. And a few weeks ago, they suggested that about 600,000 barrel uh, a day cut is needed from OPEC+, Plus, which is OPEC+, Plus, like Russia and a few others. And at the time, Russia didn't seem to be very on board. And so people were wondering whether we could actually hit that 600,000. Maybe would would Saudi Arabia take the large bulk of that, having already gone beyond uh, the pale uh, at previous meetings? Because ultimately, they still need um, they still need the Saudi Aramco float to be successful if they want to do another raising on an, on on, a, um, on another exchange like the in in New York or in London, etc. So it was always going to be a case of will they cut in cut production at any point, and now it's suggested that Saudis are pushing for a million barrels a day because they want to deal with the fact that there is a massive demand side issue now as a result of the coronavirus. And the questions are being raised about well, if Russia wasn't on board with six hundred thousand a few weeks ago, will they be on board with a million barrels now? How much of the the lifting will Saudi Arabia have to do? Obviously, they've still got plenty of room in order to lift, but will they have to take eight hundred thousand barrels, seven hundred thousand barrels of that in order to try and get Russia on board and leave them with um, with a small a chunk or will they meet maybe 6,000, 600,000, 200, 300,000, like that, in order to get this over the line. It's difficult to say at this moment whether we are going to see the cut, but also it's really difficult to say whether it's going to make a huge difference because at the moment we're seeing... Probably about, not. Exactly, yeah. because what a, mi- a million barrels a day might be seen as enough right now, but in a week or two it may not be seen as sufficient and then you've got a while before the next meeting. Um, you, you could see the price falling to what? Below fifty, um, down to maybe forty. Yeah, forty, forty-five yeah. dollars. If this if this does continue, that wouldn't surprise me. And maybe then you'd need an emergency meeting. I feel that they may surprise to the upside. I think they'll want to be seen to be sending a warning to the markets because they don't want to be leaving this meeting and within forty-eight hours see uh, or price of price of a barrel of oil at forty dollars. I think that would be really devastating for all of them. So I think we may see them surprise to the upside. But that's a huge, huge meeting as far as oil prices are concerned. <laughs> Right. What about the uh, the latest PMIs in in China? Um, goodness knows what those are going to be. So this is the first data which we're seeing for February, and uh, obviously um, China has been the one that's taken the. The, the lion's share of the hit so far economically. So the PMIs which we get at the very start of the week could effectively. Um, uh, exacerbate any moves that we do see at the start of the week. So, for example, if we see improvements over the weekend and we see a decent Chinese PMI uh, at the start of next week, then I think that could give us a nice little bounce in the markets after such a dreadful, dreadful week this week. And the numbers come out uh, overnight on Monday. So by the time 
our trade starts in Europe on Monday. We yeah. are going to have that uh, Kaijin uh, manufacturing data. How important is that data. figure going to be? I think it's going to be hugely important. Obviously, it's not going to be as important as the numbers themselves over the weekend. So, for example, if we get a really poor PMI reading, which in a way is still going to be seen as historic data because China's started bouncing back, factories have reopened, we are getting back towards uh, production levels, which we I- we're, I'm which are better. I'm confused about this. It's almost as if the virus is at peak or has peaked in China. It has peaked. Yeah. It, it, we, obviously, we're still seeing new cases, but it's decelerating yeah. rather than accelerating. So it feels like we're seeing that the light at the end of the tunnel in China, which is why, the, for example, the Shanghai Composite has outperformed the rest of the market this week. I think it's down around 3-4% uh, compared to the rest of the market because yeah. it's, it's, it's suffered uh, as mu- uh, not as much as it's going to suffer, but it's, it, it's almost gone through and it's turned the corner, whereas the rest of the world is now starting to make its way through. And... So if we see a, a de- deterioration and we start to see escalating cases, accelerating cases in Germany and France over the weekend, for example, in the UK or, or uh, more, more, more numbers in the US. And the other thing as well with the coronavirus is people are talking about community spread. So this is where it's not necessarily linked to any uh, outbreak. Yeah, so yeah. at the moment we're saying, well, actually, we've seen some quarantine people in the UK because mm-hmm. they've been on a ski trip in, Italy, in northern Italy or people coming back from China, whatever. Um, but there's a case in the US now where there's no... Commu- where it's it, the, the fear it could be a community spread because there is no link to any outbreak area. So if we start to see more of that over the weekend, but then we see a strong PMI from China, I still think markets are heading south because it still suggests that things are getting much worse and vice versa is true as well. So the, the manufacturing PMI uh, at the start of next week, I think is going to... could be a mood setter, but it more one more that exacerbates any mood that we start to see at the start of the week. Finally, the US jobs data on Friday, non-farm payroll. I know you you give short shrift to these figures these days because they go up, they go down, and they're behind expectations, above expectations, and we never really seem to learn very much about it. But um, I don't suppose the coronavirus is connected to this yet. I wouldn't say yet, but then we have obviously seen um, Fed commentary which suggested that the, we are... We are that the US is going to be impacted and there is preparations being made. The CDC earlier this week um, claiming that that preparations need to be made and that it's not a case of if this will become a pandemic, it's a case of when this becomes a pandemic, when it impacts the US rather than if it impacts the US. And you wonder what impact that may have had on hiring decisions. And again, I think this is just one of those pieces of data that could compound problems rather than, uh, could uh, compound a move rather than create a move. So if markets deep in the red and we see a really strong jobs report, I don't think anyone's going to be jumping but on the stock bandwagon, whereas if markets are uh, are in the red and we see a bad jobs report and there's mention of coronavirus, then I think that could compound the problem further. So that's, I think that's where the importance of this comes to. And uh, the other thing that uh, which we've got next week uh, as well, uh, of course, is two central bank meetings. We've got the RBA and the Bank of Canada. Uh, and if so, it'll be interesting to see if there's any reaction there. We had the uh, Bank of Korea meeting earlier this week, and the widely held expectation was that they would cut interest rates because of the spread of coronavirus. South Korea being one of those countries where we have seen a huge spike, and the idea was we'll see a cut interest rate that they're trying to support the economy. They held off. They said we'll work. They effectively said we'll wait and see. So if South Korea is not cutting interest rates, you'd expect the RBA and the Bank of Canada to hold part probably as well and wait for the next meeting and see what kind of impact it has once it does spread towards their shores. Um, but nothing's guaranteed. Obviously, there's just so much up in the air at the moment. Who knows what's going to change between now and the middle of next week. So there's the, they're, they're the only other two events which I think really stand out as far as I'm concerned but ultimately all of this we're talking about everything's going to be dictated by driven by or or, or, or at least led by uh, the coronavirus story because if the coronavirus story improves that's the lens that yeah. everyone is going to view we'll the market through next week yeah. okay 
Craig, on that positive note, uh, have a good weekend and speak to you again next time. Thank you, you too. From the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.